Welcome, everybody, to Four Score and Seven Podcasters. It's been a while. I'm we're sitting, back. We're back. How's everyone doing today? Wonderful. Great. Excellent. Thank you. I feel great. All right. We got all of the U.S. History One teachers and Miss Honey. Except for Miss Moulton. Uh, except Ms. for Miss Moulton's not here. That's right. Um, hopefully, she can join us later. Uh, we're here to talk a little bit today about things we wish we could have covered this year but didn't get a chance to. U.S. History is a year-long course, but that is just not enough time to cover all the interesting things, not even close in uh, in our discipline. Uh, so, you know, we just thought we'd come to the table and talk about some things that we didn't get a chance to discuss, either in U.S. History or in any of our other classes, um, just to kind of share our passion for history and for learning, and, and we didn't have the opportunity to do that uh, for every single topic. So who wants to start us off? Uh, I know Mr. McKay had a few topics that he was uh, uh, hoping to get to this year, didn't get a chance, and this might be an opportunity for him to talk a little bit about him. I appreciate you going to me first, Mr. Kellett. I was really excited and really wanted to go first, so I'm, I, I, I can't wait to tell you. Let's right. hear it. Don't wait. I'm, I'm ready to go. So I <laughs> like to talk about a lot of different things. I have some U.S. history stuff that I want to talk about, but also some uh, criminal justice stuff that I talk about because I also teach criminal justice. So I think I'd kind of pose those out there for people to talk about, and we can kind of kick it around. I'll start criminal justice because I think that that to me is the most interesting. I teach the class twice a year because uh, it's a semester course. I think next year we'll have another teacher also teaching it as well. So that's exciting to look forward to going forward. I don't know who that is yet. But one of the things that I really like to think about um, and teach, and we teach about one of our units is crime, uh, is the idea of criminology. Uh, so for those who don't know anything about it, just a little brief background. Criminology is the study of why crimes take place. You know, why do robbers rob certain stores? Why do certain crimes take place in certain areas? Uh, and there are a lot of theories out there that are formed when it comes to why crimes happen. And, and they, they've been studied for a long, long period of time. My, my coolest one that I like to think about a lot is uh, the choice theory. Um, and the choice theory, just in, in really simple form here to talk about, is this idea that a person uh, weighs the benefit of the crime versus the cost of the crime um, and what could kind of happen in those situations. Meaning, is the benefit from uh, partaking in the crime worth more than the possibility of the cost that might come to it? And I wanted to pose a question to you guys. Bring it on. And say, uh, what do you think about that? theory because to me I actually I think back I know Mr. DeCosmo is a big music guy as well I think back to a song by Eminem uh, and Dr. Dre that was a song <laughs> called Guilty Conscience big it's fans a, big fan right it's an inappropriate song so you need your parents uh, permission to listen to it because there are swears in it so we're not going to swear that. in this podcast but in the song he, he is Eminem is, is rapping with Dr. Dre and he's, he's going back and forth back and forth weighing the costs of the benefit of committing the crime versus the cost of what might happen in the song there's three different scenarios and in one situation he walks away in one situation he commits the crime and it's bad but uh, what do you guys think of, of that theory? I know you guys don't talk criminal justice a whole lot, but I, I find it to be wildly interesting. Well, Mr. DeCosmo, are you familiar with this song he's referring to? I am, and I'm thinking of a, a way that I can dictate the lyrics during this podcast, but nothing is coming to mind. <laughs> so I'd encourage the listeners that when they become of age to go onto YouTube or Apple Music, whatever it may be, and listen to Guilty Conscience. I think that... You know, we can relate that concept to, you know, a lot of things that come up in history course. Um, you know, 
the, the, the story of U.S. history is not always a story about um, doing the right thing, right? Yeah. I think that there's time and time again we've learned that people, important people, powerful people, make decisions because they think it will uh, provide a benefit to them or to certain people in the country, but it clearly can bring harm to others. And uh, when I think about what you just brought up, I think about you know how those intangibles of conscience, morality, um, those are things that sometimes we don't we don't know how to quantify those things as um, you know students of history or historian, but they're integral to the story, both in individual choices. People are you know should I rob this or steal this? You know. What's the worst worst that cat could happen to me? But what we don't calculate is um, what is the sort of level of guilt that comes along with that? Um, and how do we, you know, if we're talking about U.S. history, how do we think about what our society kind of owes or maybe owes to groups that have been marginalized um, for the benefit of others. I know that's kind of what I think about when you bring yeah, it up. Yeah, and just to kind of hammer home that point, too, like as historians, our job is to tell the story about what's took, taken place and to present as many viewpoints as possible. But I don't know if we have enough time over the course of the year to talk about the consequences of the decisions in each individual decision that happens um, throughout the year, whether it be within a war, like we just talked about the Civil War and went through the Civil War right. and, and the consequences that came from that. But even just the social consequences or the uh, the ramifications of political decisions that happen over that time period, we tell the story about you know laws enacted, rules put into place, people gaining power. We don't talk about the the subsequent problems that then ensue. And we also don't talk about how those decisions are reached by the historical characters, right? Like we just talk about that this was the decision and this is what happened, and we don't necessarily dive into um, weighing options, who believed in what, who was telling the president this side of the story, who was telling the president that side of the story. We so quickly are say, you know, he wanted A, he did A, and that might not be the case. Um, and I think that sort of cost analysis piece that you talked about, we, we don't have time to jump into. And then it's very easy for us to Monday morning quarterback and be like, that was wrong, right? And not really give them the benefit of the doubt that they weighed the other side, um, not really looking at the society and culture in which they were making those decisions. So all of those decisions have so many multiple layers that I think that theory can apply for sure. Good stuff, Mr. McKay. Thanks for bringing That's a good one to start off. Um, so I know you had a couple other things, but let's go around the table a little bit. And, uh, good choice. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see what other people brought. I've got my own ideas, but I'm curious to hear. We, we haven't heard yet from Ms. Turner. Um, and uh, Ms. Turner, what, uh, what were you thinking we could have covered more this year? So I miss a time in U.S. history when we used to do a whole unit on local government. And it was really one of my favorite units to um, learn about with our students because it really is the most uh, close thing that they can do to participate in history. So we, um, I miss talking about how town meetings work and how select boards work and even how school committees work. And I think that although it's easy to dismiss it from our curriculum in uh, in light of increasing history demands, it's hard be for me because it's the thing that affects them the most in the future. Not that history doesn't affect us a lot, but the idea of playing a role in our own government uh, is something that I think 
our students could use more of, and I know that I could have used more of as a student. So the idea of bringing in local government officials to come in and talk to us and to, we used to do a simulation of a town meeting um, and how they work. And I find even adults in my own community don't know how a town meeting works and don't know that we all can vote at a town meeting and it's how we decide where our tax dollars go. So I do um, wish that we had more time to do those things. What would be like three major things if you could tell our listeners who are, are, are possibly thinking about this what could be like, th- and I don't want to mean to put you on the spot, no. but like, what, on the spot. <laughs> what, what, are, what are three things that like you want them to know about local government, their towns, how they can get involved? What are ways that they can be more active? I want them to know that once they're 18, they can go to their local town meetings, if you're in Massachusetts, um, that you can go to your town meetings and there you can vote on local laws and ordinances and um, how to spend all of your tax dollars. Imagine if you had $6,000 to spend and you didn't have to tell anyone how you were going to spend it, your, your family, you didn't have to tell your family how you're going to spend it. That's, if you don't go to your town meeting, right. you don't get to make those choices. And if you do, it's a, always a very small population of people that get to those town meetings and they're deciding how everyone's $6,000 right. gets spent in town. And choosing to participate is something that actually, you're choosing to take a huge amount of power in your community because most people aren't making that choice. Um, I would also say that participating in a school committee meeting is important not only for adults, but students to attend school committee meetings or to watch them on TV if you can, to see how uh, decisions are made within your school communities. And I would say knowing uh, when your local elections are, the people that run your towns is a really important thing and something that is very important. underrepresented people only a small uh, portion unless it's taking place at the same time as a national election a a small portion of people are making most of the decisions for your town so you should find out when those things are and really participate in them and to piggyback on what mrs. Turner just said I think um, students need to recognize you don't have to be 18 to participate in government you still can have your voice heard you can still work for other campaigns Um, so there's a lot of ways as an active, engaged citizen um, that students can take on even though they aren't a voting age. Good stuff. I I think we should take a quick pause here, and we're going to recollect our thoughts and see where we're going next. Um, I think we're off to a good start. How are we feeling? Awesome. Great. I I feel awesome. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Four score and seven podcasters fans. Uh, Miss Malton has arrived today and being part of the podcast. Miss Malton, you want to say hello to everybody? Good morning, everyone. All right. So everybody, we did a great start to, to get this thing going. But now, Mr. Kellett, I'm going to put you on the spot. You kind of put me on the spot initially. Yeah, I want to hear about things you wanted to talk about this year that you didn't get a chance to talk about. Well, you know, I, I I feel like I covered a lot of things that I was I set out to cover at, over the course of the year, but we did have to make some cuts, so to speak. You know, we did a lot of activities that took time and they were really worthwhile. Uh, one of the things that we um, we cover in our course is uh, reform movements that occur in the antebellum period before the Civil War, and literature is a big part of that unit. And last time I taught US One, you know, ten years ago, I had some excerpts from uh, some some writers. And I thought it would, it's, it's an opportunity to kind of be interdisciplinary. Um, we, we read a little bit from Henry David Thoreau, who wrote Walden. Um, and it's not, let's be honest, I mean, it's not exactly 
depending on your interest, necessarily a page turner. But I remember when I was in high school, um, you know, I kind of was into the outdoors and into hiking. And, you know, I picked up Walden. And I thought some of the things resonated with me. For those of you who don't know, Henry David Thoreau, you know, he went out to the woods in Concord, Massachusetts. And I don't want to overstate, you know, um, and English teachers could correct me on this. It's not like he was, you know, just completely isolated um, for, you know, for a huge long period of time. But he spent time living in the woods in, in near Walden Pond. And he, and he reflected on, um, you know, the, the, the benefits of you know, nature, of his surroundings, of simplicity in life. And he also reflected on um, government a little bit. And I thought it was, um, it was, a, it was something I, I remember reading. And I, I didn't get a chance to share that with my students. And, and uh, you can get the Walden one of the most well-read books out there and i know if there's any english teachers out there i know mr mr zarnicki was t- talking about how he was taking a course on walt whitman recently and you know there might be opportunities down the line to to bring together um english and, and history a little bit more than we do so i just thought i would share that and dr- name drop a couple of authors um you know and and uh, maybe spark some interest out there i think the most important part too is that you found a connection to it when you were in high school i mean yeah. i find to me as a as a friend of yours, I find a way that when thanks, that, man, well, it's, it's good to be buddies with you. Yeah, uh, but I find uh, I find that when you were connected to something that you were passionate about in high school, um, that was unique to you, that gave you some interest. I think it's important to mention that to our students because all the things that we talk about, like I like battles or other people like other things, um, it might not be as interesting to others. But you found something in the curriculum that connected to you. Um, that student that you can kind of explore more on your own, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's a huge part of, you know, you as a learner, but you also you as a person. Yeah, in your personal interests. Thanks. So. Yeah, and you're my friend too, and we're all friends. <laughs> we are. Uh, sweet. Yeah, it's a nice moment for everyone who's listening. Does anyone to this. have any tissues? <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to point out, uh, Mr. Kelly, as you were talking, it reminded me that we all talked about at our professional development day how we would love to integrate some literature into teaching U.S. history. And I know we weren't talking specifically about time period literature, but integrating um, some novels or nonfiction mm-hmm. into what we're doing would really be a benefit, I think, to to many of our students. Yeah, I think that, you know, we get so caught up and we need to cover this, we need to cover that. But if reading, just reading a book uh, that has historical relevance um, is an important skill. And, and, and uh, if, if you're inspired by what we're saying to go pick one up, uh, Come, come talk to Miss Honey. She's got a whole list, and, uh, you know, maybe down the line that's going to be more part of this course. It would be wonderful to create some book groups, either fiction, nonfiction, connected to history. We're thinking about know. it. Yeah, yep, it's on our radar. Um, Mr. DeCosmo. Yes. We're all friends it, it, with you. It's, yes, as your friend. I'm feeling very friendly. As your friend, I, I would, like, throw that I would like to hear <laughs> what you think you would have liked to spend a little more time covering this year. I think I would have wanted to spend more time on military hardware and battle tactics. Like, I didn't spend any time this year talking about the caliber size of any of the rounds shot during any of the battles That's weird. Neither did of I. the American Revolution. Me either. Not at all. <laughs> Good. I feel that Definitely I'm, didn't I'm not do left it. out. We're, we're all but on the same page on that. Do I want to discuss the .58 no. round best rounds? <laughs> Heck yes. Yes, I do. Huh. Do I want to discuss why black powder is disadvantageous versus white powder? Yes, I do. No. Do I want to talk about the world wars 
and machine guns and flamethrowers and tanks and planes or like planes with machine guns or tanks with flamethrowers. I do want to talk about all that stuff. I want to watch videos on YouTube about tanks with flamethrowers. <laughs> and I want to be like Chesty Puller, a Marine commander, who when he was shown the first handheld flamethrower said, that's great, but where do you put the bayonet? I well, want to cover more military I, hardware and tactics. Mr. DeCosmo has uh, demonstrated he's very passionate about a topic. And you also heard a little bit of you know, uh, good-natured ribbing and, and uh, uh, disagreement, which I think is important for you to realize that every one of your teachers has areas of interest that play to, you know, their strengths. And you, all of you listeners who are in our U.S. history class and others, you've all had slightly different experiences. And I actually, Mr. DeCosmo, would love to sit in on a class taught by you about this stuff. I would absolutely love to sit in and watch you teach about all those things. You can come in after school today and we will watch videos about water-cooled machine guns. Is that a deal? I'm in. Yeah, well, I'll be busy. But I mean, um, you definitely you know. <laughs> know where to go if you have questions about this. Because That's an I offer on the, the table answers. for anyone, students, <laughs> other teachers, whoever would like to come view that. Listeners from outside the country. Uh, Finlandians, <laughs> as I'm a Get in here. I'm sure we have one. Sven, is a, is a Jorgensen, is a <laughs> come on by. So That's getting cut probably, right? Nope. Uh, Keep it in. He's, he's referring to the fact that on our podcast statistics, we did have a listener somebody from finland who's listening so welcome send us an email and tell us what's up um so so uh miss braun i don't think i can follow that i well you know i mine is gonna be decidedly less jazzy do we need to take a break no i can do it all right all right (laughs) i'll recover i can do it (laughs) all right what do you got miss braun um so i wish that we had time to because much like you mr kellett i feel like what i set out to cover managed to cover, but um, I wish we had time to spend a little bit more um, focus on first ladies. Um, We talk a lot about the men who sort of forged the position of the presidency and tweaked it and changed it and moved it forward. What Um, about the women? What about the women? And there were- Remember the ladies. There were a number of women who, at the same time as their husbands or fathers or uncles were creating the position of the presidency, they were creating the position of the first lady. Um, and it was very different than what we are sort of used to in our more modern examples of, of first ladies. Um, you know, the first first lady to actually do a sort of public project was Dolly Madison. Um, initially, the first ladies looked at their jobs as hostesses. They would host state dinners and different receptions for different um, government officials and foreign um, emissaries. And it wasn't until Dolly Madison decided to open up a um, orphanage for orphanages girls that we begin to see the first lady sort of jump onto the scene as political players Um, and oftentimes it was their their actions or their inactions that were looked at as um, sort of political maneuvers um, by their husbands they were connected with their husbands their choices were connected with their husbands and um, they're just a very interesting group of women who um, played an important role behind the scenes um, do you guys know who the first first lady was to be called first lady? I do mm. not. 
Um, Any wild guesses? So I, it's I'm a curveball. I'm gonna guess that because you said it's a curveball. It's not Martha Washington. It is not Martha Washington. Right, Martha so Washington right. hated being first lady. Okay. Hated it. Um, hmm. The first first lady was actually not the wife of a president. The first <gasps> first lady to have that title um, was Harriet Lane, who was our famous bachelor president. James Buchanan, Harriet Lane was his niece who he adopted. And she served as his sort of first lady and was the first one to be publicly called first lady. That's interesting. It is interesting. I, I do know that Mary Todd came in and was Mary Todd Lincoln um, and was just really excited about being first lady. I wonder if that was a, a term that, you know, had just just been introduced to her, I very, guess, right? Right. It was very right. new yeah. at that point in our, our society. And I think the women following Harriet Lane embodied a different role than the women who came right. before her. So that's oh, what that's I wish. And we're very lucky if you are interested in more more topics like this. Um, I know in our department, Mrs. Salt offers women in U.S. history, which pro- would provide you the opportunity to really look at um, different females who played a role in forging this nation. Thanks, Ms. Braun. That's fantastic. That's absolutely outstanding and, information. And someday, at some point, it may be, it may be soon, and um, it will be at some point. We will have a first gentleman um, in the United States, and that'll be another interesting era to see how that social transformation occurs. Looking forward to it. I think yeah. I'm with Ms. Braun on this one. I really appreciate the um, paragraph in Chapter 11 about women in the war, but I think we could add even more to the <laughs> curriculum. I'm, really? I'm, I'm sensing a little bit of uh, irony or, you know, that's right. There, there's, a so, lot of it. there's so much more to say. And we, we all have a responsibility around this table and, and, and uh, elsewhere. To because a lot of the first ladies had their own opinions about things, right, and played their own roles. And people like Ulysses S. Grant's wife, Julia Grant, she owned slaves. And mm-hmm. he was the union general. So that sort of... Um, uh, controversy within relationships also plays out on the national stage. So they just add a whole different sort of curveball to what we study. Yeah, and it, they have massive influence on their husbands, uh, politically and otherwise. One of the favorite stories that I hear that I knew nothing about is Mr. Kellett, maybe if he'll tell it, um, oh, talking about the Reagan yes. administration and oh, uh, yeah. astrology. I found that to be fascinating. Well, and how people are nervous that maybe this, these astrological happenings are dictating... Y- Political policy. Yeah, well, I'm, and I'm not an expert on it, but you know, Nancy Reagan um, was a a big believer in astrology and reading. And I'm not an expert on it. Uh, reading the stars for signs of you know future events. And um, Ronald Reagan was shot in 1981, not long after he was inaugurated. Um, and Nancy Reagan believed that she played a role. She she played a role in not preventing the assassination attempt because. The signs, I think, weren't really lining up, um, and for and then she let him go to an event anyway, even though there was a bad omen. And uh, for the rest of uh, the 1980s, she played a large role in managing his schedule. Uh, Ronald Reagan's chief of staff, multiple chiefs of staff, some of whom ended up leaving the position because of frictions with the first lady, um, had to clear basically the entire presidential um, schedule and calendar uh, through through Nancy, and. You know, it's been written about, it's been talked about after the fact, and they they have all sorts of influences on um, presidents, including um, Edith Wilson, who you know kind of ran the country after Woodrow Wilson was basically um, uh, incapacitated in the last year of his administration. Um, 
you know, we're not going to get too political, but there's all sorts of discussion about the relationship in the 90s between Bill and Hillary Clinton and policy. She played a role in proposing the Democrats' health care reform bill in 1993. Um, and when Bill Clinton, when the Clintons, so to speak, you know, a lot of people said it's two for the price of one if you vote for Bill Clinton. You get two uh, policymakers, intellectuals. Um, so they play a huge role in, in policy, in society, and they will continue to, I'm sure. Or the first gentleman. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Any, did, I, did I steal some thunder there at the end, Ms. Nope, Brown? that's perfect. Okay. Um, we'll take a quick break, come back, wrap things up. And... Hello and welcome back. Thank you for listening to this newest installment of Four Score and Seven Podcasters. Uh, collectively, we apologize for leaving our fans so thirsty for new material. Uh, we enjoy doing the podcasts. We're hoping to maybe make it a little bit more of a regular event. Um, thank you for listening. Maybe one more before the end of the year. Does that oh, sound nice. about right, Group? Well, we definitely Sounds good. Make it happen. And shout out to the library. Uh, we're sitting right now in uh, one of the uh, rooms in the library, which is going to be used more and more, hopefully, for podcasting. They've made an investment in some additional equipment, so we have mm-hmm. uh, more microphones. We can have larger audiences. And I know I'm planning on um, integrating students into maybe not this particular podcast, but into podcasting um, in um, – uh, some, some way, shape, or form, and getting them to be creative. Don't with be afraid to tell your teachers what topics you want to hear on the podcast. Within reason, we will 100% do it. Yes. So please tell the teachers what you want us to podcast about. And maybe a lucky student could join us one day. Absolutely. Absolutely. We Fantastic. would love for students yes, to join absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yep. That's, that's, this is something we're building, um, and we're excited about it. So yep. um, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.